Church. I'm Claire Kingsley, and it's go time. This is our special podcast series for our Global Outreach Conference. During the two weeks, we've released five podcasts with our featured missionaries. The purpose of the podcast is to introduce our missionaries to you, tell a few stories from their time and missions, and then let you know how you can support them and join their team. You can partner with prayer, financial support, and giving regular encouragement and getting their updates. On this podcast, I interview Mark and Alyssa. They've been in missions together for 15 years and a part of our Faith Missions family for the last 10 years, serving with Reach Global. You've probably seen them around church on Sunday because they are home on furlough and we're excited to have them back in the United States for a short time. I hope that you enjoy listening to my interview with Mark and Alyssa. It's so good to have you guys on our podcast today. Thanks, Claire. It's good to be here. Thanks, Claire. Tell us a little bit about yourselves, maybe for someone who is listening who's never met you before and don't know anything about you, you or your ministry. Sure. My name, uh, is, again, is Mark. My wife, Alyssa. We've got two kids, Jacob and Bethany. And for the last um, uh, nine years or so, we've been living in Tanzania in East Africa. Tanzania is just south of Kenya. And we have been uh, working with church leaders, so strengthening the church through strengthening its leaders. Uh, we were able to start a Bible college, so we've been training uh, leaders uh, in Bible, theology, and ministry. Uh, also, we've had a, a counseling ministry as well, training um, leaders how to counsel. And so really our, our, our goal is that the African church would be able to meet the needs uh, in Africa, and that's as we, we want to see a strong African church, we need to see strong uh, church leaders. And so uh, God has given us both a, a passion for his church as well as his word and a desire to, uh, to yeah, see his word transforming leaders uh, who can then go and transform their communities. So like the goal is to put you out of a job. Absolutely. That is the goal of, of training up leaders, isn't it? Let somebody else do the work. The, the first day that Alyssa and I met, we talked for three hours about training church leaders. And so that's been something that was definitely a part of our, uh, our hearts, our, our lives, and, and where we felt God leading us. Um, the church in Africa is growing. And uh, there's, um, you know, one of the biggest needs is for stronger leaders. So as we go in and help leaders to uh, know the Bible, um, well and be able to communicate that. Understand theology and why theology is important. Understand why it's important as a leader to, to live a holy life and, and why it's important as leaders to, to deal with those things that have, you know, whatever that's gone on in our lives. As we help leaders to become more healthy, they can go out and, uh, um, and strengthen the church uh, to have a healthy church in Africa. So, um, yeah, if we, you know, if we don't need to be there in 10 or 20 years and the African church doesn't need, um, you know, Western uh, missionaries, outside missionaries coming in, that would be a great thing. Uh, but for now, there's just a, a huge need for, uh, for people to uh, help disciple and train leaders. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Um, so why don't you tell me your background? What prepared you for missions and how did God bring you um, and prompt you to pursue missions? Uh, I, I've been overseas a few times. Um, 
when I was in uh, college, my roommate walked in and said, hey, let's go study in China next year. I said, okay. He said, no, I, I'm serious. Let's go study. I said, fine. So ended up spending uh, a year in college um, uh, in China and really just saw the world in a different way. So after graduating with a bachelor's in psychology, which basically does no, nothing for you, uh, I went back to China and taught English for two years. And during that time, just really felt that, um, that God was calling me to, to being overseas, but I, I didn't really know what that looked like. And then uh, I went on a short-term trip to Zambia. And when we were there, we met a, uh, a young guy at a Bible college, and someone said, why are you here at the Bible College. And he said, I'm the only Christian in my tribe. I'm here to learn how to plant a church so I can go plant a church for my people. I thought that's, that's something I can give my life to. Mm. That's awesome. And I never heard of missionaries before. Um, when I was a young woman, I didn't grow up in church. Um, I became a believer uh, when I was 11, but really was, was just not discipled. I went on a summer project with crew um, when I was 20 years old and it was stateside, but that was the first time I ever heard about people going overseas. Um, it was such a powerful summer. We would go out during the day. Um, after we had worked with, with people, we'd, we would go out in the evening and we would share Christ with people on the boardwalk. And I, there were just a number of people who gave their life to Christ. And one day I was reflecting on that. I said, Lord, there's nothing else I'd rather do with my life. And I just had this just thought in my head that why don't you do it? And I didn't even really know what that meant because I, I really didn't understand there was such a thing as vocational ministry. But that was the beginning of God calling me um, through um, the process. First, I became a teacher, but then I had to pay off my student loans. Uh, but my whole desire at that point um, was to become a missionary. So I quit teaching went to seminary and met Mark after my first year. I actually decided I, I, I probably would not get married. Um, and that was okay with me because there weren't a whole lot of women who were pursuing um, a seminary degree at that time. So I figured I was really, um, I was really um, narrowing my choices. <laughs> but then Mark showed up at my house one day. So that was a really nice uh, surprise. And we actually, yeah, as Mark said, we, we talked about uh, missions and training church leaders our, our first evening. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mark, how did you just happen to show up at her door? Uh, I had just come back from a, um, from a ministry trip. I was tired sitting on my couch and my roommate walked in and he said, hey, I'm going to a birthday party for so-and-so. I said, I don't know who that is. Um, and he's like, well, you're not just going to sit on the couch all night. Let's go. And uh, it was Alyssa's roommate who had uh, decided to throw the party. And Alyssa didn't really want to um, be hosting a party either. So neither of us necessarily wanted to be there. So uh, ended up at her house. Um, my roommate and I were the first two people who showed up. So uh, met Alyssa. We started talking. And then as everyone came and the, the whole birthday party moved into the other room, we literally, we just stayed at the kitchen table and talked all night. But I had told my roommate, fine, we can have the party, but I will not, will not brush my hair or change my clothes. I have been waiting tables all day with my summer job. And I remember I'm sitting there talking to Mark and I think, my goodness, I didn't brush my hair. I wish I could go brush my hair. <laughs> 
I think that's a great start to uh, a good love story, you guys. That's wonderful. Thanks for sharing. So um, could you tell us um, what does a normal day look like for you when you are in Tanzania? Yeah, well, that's a good question. And, and right now there is no more normal because we, we are not returning to, to Tanzania um, for our next term. But mm-hmm. so we started a Bible college. Uh, we're uh, training pastors and church leaders uh, um, through a one-year certificate in pastoral ministries or a, a two-year diploma in pastoral ministries. And uh, the way we did that, that is they would come in for two weeks at a time. Uh, we had uh, dormitories, so they'd come in, class during the day, studying in the evening, we'd be hanging out with them. Uh, and so uh, during the terms when students were on campus, uh, campus was our house. Uh, the school was downstairs, we lived upstairs. So we'd be very busy um, all day long uh, during that time. Then when they were gone, we, we did a lot of uh, curriculum development. Uh, generally, people don't like you to give away their own stuff. So we decided we wanted to create all of our own materials so that um, our students could say, hey, I wanna go and teach marriage and family in my church or community, or I wanna go teach how to study the Bible. And we could give them the materials so they could go and without, without having to pay anything other than printing costs, they could go and, and train their own materials. So uh, over the last few years, we've done a lot of curriculum development as well. So um, we lived in a, in a big city, you know, we weren't out in the in the villages, um, and uh, so our our job really was uh, teaching in the classroom, uh, discipling, counseling, um, visiting churches, and writing curriculum. Mm-hmm. In that, the people that you're teaching and the leaders that you're training, your goal is to develop healthy leaders. So, could you tell us a little bit about? your philosophy of ministry and training. How do you go about making healthy leaders? So the, as we look at leaders, we, we look at it from a, uh, a couple of different angles. First, of course, just the you know Bible and theology. Uh, there are a lot of great leaders in Africa who really want to, to serve God and want to, to lead well and want to teach well, but they've never had an opportunity to, to study the Bible. So when uh, early on in the program, we'll ask students, how many of you have read the whole Bible? I think in all of our years, I've had one student who raised their hand and said, raised their hand and said, I've read everything from, from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, when I ask uh, a class, um, how many of you have read the entire you know, New Testament from Matthew to, to Revelation? Usually only one or two hands go up. So you've got a uh, a church being led by leaders who really have, have never read the Bible uh, and uh, generally don't know how to study the Bible. So you open the Bible, you find something that you think looks good and sounds good, and then you go out and preach that. Well, um, you know, certainly being a part of, of faith here, we understand um, uh, as a church, we understand the value of good biblical teaching. And, um, you know, when somebody comes to our church, they're going to see that, that we emphasize the Bible and the teaching of the Bible because we know that God's truth changes lives. So if we want to have healthy leaders, we need to have have men and women who have been transformed themselves by God's word and then know how to communicate that with others. So biblically, theologically, you know, um, these are important. You know, theologically, one of the big things 
um, going through Africa is the prosperity gospel. And the prosperity gospel says, uh, if you have the right faith and you, you pray the right prayer in that kind of faith, God is obligated to answer your prayer. So basically, there's a, a God that we can control and he will bless us financially. He will bless us physically with health. And if he doesn't, then there's something wrong with us. There's something wrong with our faith. And so the idea that suffering is part of the reality for believers, um, that's not what the African church teaches. The African church teaches if you suffer, somehow you're, you're in sin or you've been cursed or you're outside of God's will. Sure. So, so biblically and theologically, if students can understand this is what the gospel is, this is what grace is, this is what God is calling us to do, uh, then they can go and, um, and train the people, teach the people in, in their churches. So, so biblically, theologically, we know that that's, that's a huge part of, of making healthy leaders. Sure. And you're doing that through your teaching and also through your counseling. Mm -hmm. So would you, uh, do you have any stories to share with our listeners of stories in teaching or in counseling that would prompt us when we hear this story to praise God along with you? Yeah, about um, five years ago, we had to teach our first counseling class. And I say had to because um, we had a, a two-year diploma program and we had to consider what are all of the courses um, that a fully educated um, minister would need to really be effective. And so of course we had to put counseling in there and uh, Mark and, and Gil, our teammate and I, we looked at each other and said, and who's going to teach this? Um, none of us felt qualified to do it. Uh, somehow I, I got the, the short end of that stick and I think I had taken counseling the most recently. I never considered myself a counselor. So we taught the class and I had no idea the significance. Um, I had no idea the hole that existed in pastoral care and the church. And what I discovered were pastors coming to me saying, this couple in my church has a problem. Um, I'm being treated this way by this person. This woman left her husband. What do I do? What do I say to them? And that's when I realized um, they need more. So we thought, why don't we create a, another, um, a, another certificate, perhaps in counseling, but I needed to get more training myself. So I went to Rwanda and got some training in trauma counseling, mm -hmm. came back, taught the trauma counseling class. At the very beginning, I asked people to fill out an anonymous form that indicates if they have ever been abused um, and I, I list specific different ways or if they've ever abused anyone. And then at the end of the week, I give them the same thing. Uh, the, the, the results, the, the difference is, it's pretty remarkable. At the beginning, I will hear things like, it's not abuse to hit people. It's not abuse to beat your children. Um, it's not abuse to beat your wife. That's normal. That's expected. And a wife who's being beaten will say, no, that's not abuse. But by the end of the week, they recognize that as vessels of the Holy Spirit, as, as image bearers, to, to receive the kind of treatment, the harsh treatment that they have received from others, um, it is abuse. And 
And thank goodness that Christ brings forgiveness and he allows people to change. Mm -hmm. So from the first trauma counseling class, um, I realized that it was around 95% of the people had been physically abused or physically abusing others. And by abuse, I mean the kind that you would, you would read about in this country in books and say, oh my goodness, can you believe this happened? I mean, stories of people who've been tied to trees by their parents and left for three days. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not uncommon. I've heard that story so many times. Step-parents trying to poison children to kill them. Um, children surviving such, um, such attacks. But one man in particular, his, uh, I'll, I'll call him Shama, he... Um, he was abused by his father. He, his father wouldn't pay his school fees, which is pretty common. He became really angry. How, how can God love me? He asked himself. He then went into um, some type of a military branch. And in the military, they beat him. That's part of the training. So he had to just take it and became more and more angry. So he would go home and he would beat his wife and children. Mm-hmm. And then he became a pastor. And he's still beating his wife and children. And he broke down in this trauma class, realizing he was an abuser and confessed it to his group, um, confessed it to me. He, he actually had said, I've taken away my families. Um, I, I had them sell the refrigerator. Everything in the house had been sold for ministry because they didn't have enough money. So he took his wife's refrigerator and sold it so that she had nothing to keep her food in. And his wife had no ability to make any decisions for herself. And he said, I'm going back home and I'm repenting to my wife's face and I'm apologizing to my child. And, and he did that. And I saw this man transform. And I, I saw that a couple of years ago and he's been consistent. Um, so we have so many stories of pastors who, who find peace when they can admit where they've been and, and say, yes, Christ can actually reach me in this place. Um, some, of our, some of our people have become counselors themselves. That's always exciting. We have a man who, who started a ministry and he has been counseling so he has over a hundred kids in this ministry. And I, I just heard this morning that our home church in Tanzania just contacted him and his wife and said, Hey, will you, will you counsel someone? This couple is just split up and, and we need your help. So the thing I love about um, the counseling training I received is that we can then give it away to other people. And because they're already, they know the word of God, if they could just learn how to use it in a focused way of discipleship that really focuses on heart change, then they too can offer pastoral care and counseling in a, in a transformative way. Wow. Melissa, thank you for sharing. I just am praising God as I hear you share how he equipped you and used you in that position to change one family and also, of course, so many um, stories that you may not know or um, you may not have time to share. Uh, So thank you so much for sharing that with us. Mark, do you have any stories that you'd like to share? um, Or Alyssa, any other stories with teaching where you've seen someone just radically transformed by something that we might take for granted, a teaching that we've learned or known for a long time that um, we might consider 
small, but you've seen someone's eyes open for the first time and it, it might be a pastor or um, a leader in the church. You know, it's not one story. It's every student. Every student comes in with a, a distorted view of the gospel. And I mean, that's something that, that you don't have to be African. I mean, we need to struggle through what does it mean? What, you know, what is the gospel? What does it mean to be forgiven? How can we earn God's favor? And just the idea that, that you know, the Bible says nothing. There's nothing we can do that is going to, to get God to the place where he says, ah, okay, now they're good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I know even for me as a, as a kid, when I, you know, was before I became a believer thinking about God and just, you know, well, how good do I need to be? Well, the African church very much is focused on the externals. And so um, you're, you're a good person if you're doing the right things. And so, so the people who are saved are people who have, you've prayed a prayer and now you're doing the right things. Mm-hmm. So for all of our students, when we spend time, uh, and we do this in, in multiple classes, going through the gospel, what does it mean to be justified? The idea that, that God declares you righteous. Not that, not that you're good enough, but that God looks at you and says, I'm choosing to call you righteous because of the righteousness of Christ. Uh, and then sanctification, what does that mean? The process of becoming more like Christ. But in the African church, generally they say, anytime you sin, you're, you're out. You've lost your salvation at that moment. So there's constant fear of whether or not uh, God is pleased with you. And at any moment, you could lose your, your salvation. Uh, so the way to get around that is you start redefining sin. And if people don't see it, if people don't know it, then it's not sin. Or, well, it's just, you know, it's just a little thing. And so, so the gospel what what was accomplished on the cross the 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 idea again of of justification that god looks at us and he sees he sees christ this is something that that um very few of any of our pastors have had a good understanding so uh, we're seeing you know transformed lives constantly and it's it's interesting though because they really struggle with it they'll say I think I'm understanding what grace is, but how do we go out and, and how do we preach this in our churches? Because if we preach grace, then people are just going to start sinning. We had one pastor and, and uh, he said, there are reasons for all of the rules that we create. He admitted to legalism, but he said, I'm afraid. I'm afraid if I take away the rules, people will start sinning. And I asked him, so you have a lot of rules to try to keep people from doing the wrong thing. Is it working? I said, no, it's not. I said, what about grace? What if you t- start preaching grace? I said, I, I just can't do it. And so it's, um, it's interesting that as they're confronted with the gospel, they realize that, that what they've been teaching in their churches for so long really isn't the gospel. It's uh, um, how do you look good on the outside so others think you're a good person? Sure. That's just absolutely not a message found anywhere in in scripture so um it's just it's wonderful seeing um seeing our, our leaders change and and uh we we have seen um leaders being actually uh kicked out of their churches kicked out of their denominations 
uh, we were actually, um, someone wanted to come to our school and, and uh, a leader in his denomination said, I've heard about those guys. You can't go to reach Tanzania, they're false teachers. And he said, well, what do you mean they're false teachers? Yeah, they, they teach that, that um, uh, God's grace is enough for you to go to heaven. And I said, well, if that's what it is to be a false teacher, I'm, I'm okay with what they're, they're calling us. Mm-hmm. It's um, really every student has stories of how, their, how their, their understanding of the gospel has been changed. Um, and so I think it, probably in every class we have students who come in, pastors, church leaders, who actually aren't saved. They don't know the gospel. And they come and they, they learn the gospel and, and, and respond. And that's always, that's pretty amazing to see. Mm-hmm. I think about Richard. And he was like most people who come into the classroom, they, he, he really had put a strong emphasis on prophets and, um, and whatever a prophet says, it, it must happen. And when it doesn't happen, well, maybe it will happen in the future. But if somebody, if someone says, for example, if I say to you, um, Claire, um, it's really nice talking to you today. Um, I think that we're going to talk again soon. I'm looking forward to that. And, and when you do, maybe you'll even have a new computer. Oh, did you just prophesy that I'm getting a new computer? So something as simple as, as, as awkward as that was to say you'd get a new computer, but you know, let's say we're talking about getting a computer and I know you want one and I'm saying, well, I hope you get one. Well, I've just prophesied that it's true. And, and then people will hold on to that. And, and, and the emphasis is no longer on, on the gospel. It's on what can I get? So in Richard's case, um, there was, there was a, another student in our classroom who believed he was a prophet and he prophesied that several of the students were going to be destroyed. It was unclear what that was, but one student would rise above. And it was really awful to see what ended up happening. Um, The students who he said would rise above, um, he started to struggle with his face because why would he be special? And And another student who was supposed to be destroyed, she said, well, this prophet says I'm going to be destroyed, so why should I even try? Why should I try? So she became hopeless. And all of this happens like outside of the classroom. This man just made this prophecy one day. Richard hears this, and it really bothers him. He, he also had, had heard a prophecy that his, he was, his wife was going to be troubled and have some difficulty. And he came to me, and he was just really concerned. And as we started to analyze um, what this man said that was supposedly a, a, proph- a prophecy, Richard realized he didn't need to listen to that stuff anymore. Mm-hmm. And he started to think differently about prophets. Um, and he had a f- close friend who suddenly became a prophet. I mean, this might sound strange to you and to the listeners, but this is a really normal part of life in the church in Tanzania. It's an everyday thing. Um, so Richard uh, eventually gets to a place where he starts speaking against false prophets. And 
it's pretty incredible. I see him on social media um, questioning other people, saying, how can you say that? You're using this verse out of context. This isn't true what you're, what you're saying. You have to speak the truth. Why aren't you focused on the gospel? Uh, so I am just so proud of this guy mm -hmm. um, because he ta it takes guts to go against what has really become a version of cultural Christianity in that context. But not every student, you know, we see that. There was a, another guy, um, John, he went through our, our program and, and uh, then a after he'd finished, he left. We did didn't really have a lot of contact with him, but he invited me one day to come and, and, and preach at his church. And, uh, and so I, I accepted, I hadn't seen him in, in over a year and went to his church. And when I got there, all of the leaders were wearing a lanyard with a big picture of himself on the lanyard. And everything about the church seemed to be building this guy up as the man of God. And that's just, that so goes against everything that we, uh, that we were, were trying to build in terms of, you know, that as leaders, we're called to be servant leaders. So yes, we've got a lot of great stories like Richard. Um, but unfortunately, we've got stories like, like John of the, the, the culture and the cultural expectations are so strong that, um, that we've, we've seen students who, um, who will, will start to change and start to move in one direction, but then the pressure is too much and they go back to kind of the expectation. And we, uh, one guy said one time, I've got this great sermon that I, I would love to preach, but um, pastors won't let me preach it because it doesn't bring in the tithes and offerings. Mm -hmm. So there's, a, there's an expectation for how you're supposed to lead, how you're supposed to preach. And um, unfortunately, just that, that, that draw and the fear that if I, if I stray from the expectation, people are going to leave and they're going to take their, their wallets with them. And so uh, we see great stories of transformed lives. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we also see people and wonder like, <laughs> What happened in the last year? What happened in the last two, two years? Ministry is, you know, ministry is tough and it would be great if, if every person was a richer. But we've got the Johns as well. Sure. Um, well, thank you for sharing these stories. Um, so we are just able to partner with you guys in prayer for a community um, in a country that we know is close to your heart. Why don't you share a little bit about moving forward. Um, you guys are here on furlough and um, what are you able to share with our listeners about what you're anticipating in the next year or two? Well, over the last couple of years, uh, more and more missionaries have, have not been able to get work permits in Tanzania and that includes us. So um, we hope to be able to continue to go in and, and visit and encourage our former students uh, you know, we can coach them from a distance, but we're not able to live in Tanzania at that at this time. So uh, our desire is that we will find uh, another place in East Africa where we can continue to strengthen the church by by strengthening its leaders. And so we're uh, potentially going to move to Nairobi to uh, join a uh, an existing school there where we would be able to. Uh, teach uh, and also um, 
uh, do some counseling and, you know, so training, Bible theology, ministry, you know, counseling. And so be a part of, of still training church leaders in East Africa. So we're just kind of having those discussions now. We, we're not sure for sure if we're going to Nairobi or if, that, if it'd be somewhere else, but our, our vision, our passion, our mission, they haven't changed. Right. Uh, just our location and the context that we're doing that uh, looks like it's going to change. But uh, um, yeah, people, if you're, you're praying for us, pray that, that God will make it very clear if uh, this opportunity in Nairobi or, or somewhere else, if that's the place that, that we should be. Sure. Thank you for sharing. So that being said, your support needs look different in this season, um, or maybe not different, but they might even be um, a little uncertain. But tell us specifically, how could somebody join your team right now? What are your needs? How could someone come alongside you? Thank you. At, at this time, prayer is huge. Uh, again, we're, we're on home assignment, and so this is a time when uh, we're supposed to be uh, visiting people and sharing stories from the past and looking ahead to the future. Uh, but right now we don't really know what that future looks like. So, so, you know, if folks would, if you'd be praying for us in this time, we would, we would really appreciate that. And then financially, uh, I think we do need some, some new uh, financial donors, people who can, can join monthly. Uh, we also, uh, because we had to leave Tanzania so quickly, we weren't able to sell all of our things uh, and we were anticipating that that money could be used kind of, you know, to, to start up somewhere else, but uh, we don't have the, those funds. So probably, you know, even $20,000 for having to buy a new vehicle and, uh, and get set up in a new, a new home, having those, those startup costs. That's, um, that's something that's going to be coming uh, in, the, in the future. Our, our thought is uh, hopefully the first half of next year, we would be, uh, back somewhere in East Africa and, and continue what we're doing. But so right now, if, you know, if people want to uh, get connected with us, get our updates um, and start praying for us, that would be huge. And then as we figure out where we're going and are able to actually sit down and look at budgets, then we can, then we'd have a better idea. We uh, Online, we see that Nairobi is probably about 10% more expensive than, than Dar es Salaam. So if we, if we headed there, it would probably be a bit more, but we really, it's too early to know exactly what that looks like. Sure. Yeah. So um, someone could join your regular monthly giving your support needs. You do have some that are monthly. Um, mm -hmm. And also someone would be able to give one-time gifts to be able to support your startup costs. Um, so I appreciate that you shared those needs and would encourage anybody who's listening to Mark and Alyssa's stories and the ministry that they're doing and they feel um, like God is placing on their heart to give, to support, to pray with, to come alongside and encourage them in the work that God's equipped them and sent them out to do. Would you um, also take some time to prayerfully consider joining their team in a bold way, whether it's committing to prayer daily or um, giving these, uh, giving and meeting their support needs financially. Pray that you take some time, either pausing this podcast now or take some time after you're done listening to it or in weeks to come to consider how God is calling you to partner with Mark and Alyssa. 
if you were able to talk to someone new who's joining your team, they're hearing this and or they've seen um, some things during our go time weeks and they feel called to support you and join you in your ministry, what would you want them to know or what do you wish you could say to them? That's a good question. Um, we know that, that it's the church in Africa that's going to transform Africa. And so we're not going, bringing in something because we think we're, we're, we're great. We, we just want to go in and, and be a part of, of God raising up healthy leaders to, to build his church. So as, as people join our, our prayer team, our, our financial support team, just want to say thank you. Thank you that, that, that you are a part of, of building the church in, in Africa. And so long-term, um, you know, our, our partners, people in Africa aren't going to know their names long-term. Hopefully people aren't going to know our names, but, but the church is going to be strengthened and lives are gonna be transformed. And so as people join us, that's, that's what we're, we're inviting you to, to coming alongside us so that um, as God opens the door, um, we're able to, to be a part of, of seeing him do great things through his church. Yes. Um, Mark, I love that you mentioned that. I just read um, a Psalm this morning about how we are dust and um, but God's name remains throughout generations, right? So where your work is um, and anyone's um, call, we're all called to ministry in a way, right? Is to not be a big deal. And so people don't remember our names, but they remember God's or what they've heard or learned about God along the way. And so thank you for mentioning that. The epicenter of Christianity is moving to Africa. Um, I just read an article about that this past week. Um, the, it, it's a mixture of how quickly the church is growing and, and birth rates, but um, the center of Christianity is, is going to be the African con continent. And the stronger that the foundation of faith will be there, it will impact the whole world. Um, it has been a, a privilege to to know Africans who say, I'm called to be a missionary. We, we know men and women who've given up so much to take the gospel to unreached parts of the continent and um, places that we'll never go to. So what I would like to say to somebody new who is joining our team, you might be thinking that you will never get um, to the African continent yourself. And, and that may be true. But there are so many places on the African continent that we will never get to personally, but people that, who we have trained and, and people who those we've trained, they've trained others, they're going into parts of the continent that, that none of us will see except for them. I know of people who've gone into a, a village that has been Muslim, since uh, around 750 AD. And, and they've gone there and they've brought the gospel. And, and I know who they are, uh, but I'll never go there. So you, by joining us, um, you're gonna be part 
of strengthening what will ultimately be the epicenter of Christianity. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's a big, um, that's a big thing to be a part of and to, um, just to be able to participate in what God is already doing there is, um, would be a privilege. And so we are encouraged just hearing your stories and hearing how God is using you there. Thank you for giving us your time and um, sharing with us what God is doing in and through your ministry. Thanks, Claire. Thank you so much. It's been great to be with you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to my interview with Mark and Alyssa. If you feel called to join their support team, whether through prayer or financial support, you heard their needs. They are asking for prayer, prayer for discernment and direction for the future of their ministry. And you also heard that they do need financial support, whether it's through a one-time gift for startup costs to a new location or through regular giving or both. You can join their team by clicking the link to the commitment form in our show notes. You can also find this commitment form linked on our GoTime website. If you have questions about our GoTime conference, you can find your answers at faithchurchindy.com slash GoTime. And if you've missed any of the events or previous podcasts, you'll be able to find all of the information that you need on that page. Some of the events during the GoTime conference we've recorded and we will release in the coming weeks. So watch for that on our GoTime page in case you missed one that you were hoping to catch. If you have questions about missions at Faith Church or how to give, you can always reach out through email. Just email missions at faithliveitout.org.